Good morning. My name is Matt, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to thank you guys for joining us here in person in the cold. It's chilly. This may be our chilliest one yet. I feel this is the first time I think I've ever been sad that I just took my face mask off. That extra warmth was helpful. Um, and I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you for joining us. If this, is, if this is your first time to join us here at Redeemer, or if this is your thousandth time, if you find yourself um, uh, joining us from a position of convinced of the claims of Jesus, or if you are unconvinced of the truth claims of Jesus, or if you don't really know where, what you are and what you believe about this stuff, we're just thankful that you've chosen to hang out with us. Uh, so welcome to Redeemer. Well, what is Redeemer? Uh, Redeemer is a church, and what that means is we're a community of people, and we're trying to learn how to love God, and we're trying to learn how to love our neighbors. And the way that we do that is we gather together every Sunday as best as we're able, even in the cold and online, and uh, we worship our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so that we might rest in His great love for us. And we also get together throughout the week, individually and over small groups, so that we might remind one another about His great love for us. And as we rest in His love and remind one another of His love, we delight to spread throughout Midtown in service so that we might reflect his love to our neighbors. Uh, we dream of seeing our city flourishing anew through his redemptive love. So that's a little bit about who we are. We're a community of people. We're trying to learn how to love God and love our neighbor as we rest and remind and reflect his love. And the way that we are doing that this Advent season is we are reflecting on these different passages where the Bible talks about when Jesus came. And it's fascinating, when the Bible talks about Jesus' birth, it uses this language of him coming, of him arriving, which the claim of the Bible presupposes that God the Son was existing with God the Father from all of eternity, and he left heaven and he came to earth, which is quite an outlandish claim in and of itself. And we don't really have the time uh, this morning, we're not going to take the time to uh, defend the nature of that claim, but we are going to think about the rationale of that claim. Why did Jesus come in the first place? A couple weeks ago, we saw that Jesus came to preach. Last week, we saw that Jesus came to call sinners. And this week, we're going to see that Jesus came to serve. He came to give up his power, which is fascinating because our cultural moment right now is really orbiting around this subject of power. We're all rethinking power right now. Uh, does the government have the power to limit our uh, religious liberty? Does the government have the power to force us to wear a mask? You know, we're talking about that. Uh, we're, you know, there's, there's conversations in our culture about defunding the police, which is this conversation about limiting the power of our police force. Uh, you know, 2020 has been this year of, of racial reckoning. And we as a culture and people and institutions are, are um, rethinking and thinking for, for many folks and institutions for the first time new ways of uh, how do we think through white privilege and white power and uh, th these dynamics that have been present in our culture for so long. Uh, the Me Too movement has been born out of this conversation of this abuse of power. Um, so there, there's been so much criticism about the church recently that the church itself has, has gotten into bed with politics and aligned itself with political parties and is all about just uh, dominating people and, and regaining power. Into, the, into this whole complicated cultural conversation about power, Jesus steps in and he has uh, some opinions and um, turns everything upside down. 
And I think this passage gives us a window into the very heart of God, which my guess is for most of us is going to be a God that is so backwards, so upside down, so bizarre, we could never have conceived of a God like this, a God that would come and give away power. So I want, to see three, I want to show you three things from this passage briefly, because I know that you're cold and I'm cold too. Three things that I think we see in this passage. Jesus shows us the seduction of power. He shows us the redefining of power and the power for power. So let's look at those three things, the seduction of power, the redefining of power, and then how you get the power to be truly powerful. The seduction of power. Well, the, the passage begins with two of Jesus' disciples, James and John. They come up to Jesus and they ask him a question, which I think is a hilarious question. But the humor of the question is going to be lost on you unless you understand what happened before this. There were three little episodes, three little stories that happened right before this passage in Mark chapter 10 that lead up to this question that makes it hilarious. Here's story number one. People are bringing Jesus their children, and uh, the disciples step in, and they rebuke these parents, and they're like, stop bringing your snot-nosed kids to Jesus. He's important. He's a big deal. You're bothering the teacher. And Jesus says to his disciples, whoa, 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 whoa. Unless you receive the kingdom like a little child, you will never enter into it. He's looking at his disciples and saying, guys, the, ways of the, of the, the way of Jesus is about being little. It's being vulnerable, dependent, needy. And then in the story right after that, story number two, there's this rich young ruler that steps up to Jesus, and they have this conversation, and the rich young ruler eventually walks away discouraged and confused, and, and the disciples are like, oh my goodness, if he can't get into the kingdom, then we're all you know, doomed. And so Jesus says to them, well, many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. He's saying to his disciples, guys, the ways of Jesus is about being last at the, at the end of the line, the, the bottom of the rung. It's about taking the low place, not the high place. And then the story right after that, story number three, uh, Jesus is heading into Jerusalem uh, because he's been talking all about dying there recently, and it seems like he's actually serious about doing it. And as he's getting closer, his disciples start freaking out, and so he pulls his disciples together, and he tells his disciples, hey, guys, I am going to uh, be delivered over to the authorities. They're going to condemn me. They're going to mock me. They're going to spit in my face. They're going to torture me and execute me, and then I will rise again. And he's telling them, guys, the way of Jesus is about losing. It's about losing your reputation, about losing your comfort, about losing your life. These are the stories right up until this passage. He is saying, hey, do you want to follow me? you want to follow Jesus? It's about being little, it's about being last, and it's about being a loser. And here come James and John, and they come up to him in verse 35, and they pull him aside, and they say, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And Jesus says, okay, what do you want? And they say, we want you to grant that we each sit side by side in your glory, which is their way of saying, when you inherit your throne, we want you to put us as the second in command. We want to be at, your, uh, at the top places in your cabinet. I mean, isn't that, I just think that's hilarious. Uh, Jesus is saying, here's what, it's like to, here's what it looks like to follow me. It's about being little. It's about being last. It's about being a loser. And they say, yeah, 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 yeah. But Jesus, can you give us power and prestige and prominence? It kind of reminds me of this uh, phenomenon that happened a couple of years ago. Some of y'all will remember this. Y'all remember when there was this audio clip that was passed around and when you listen to it, some people heard it say Laurel, and some people heard it say Yanny. 
You remember this thing? This was this was a crazy phenomenon. It's like one of those like look at the dress, what color is it kind of a deal. I was at a conference and a friend of mine came in the room and said, Matt, I want to play you something. Tell me what you hear it saying. And they played it and it was like, Laurel, Laurel, Laurel. And I'm like, Laurel? I don't know what he's saying, something Laurel. And then this other guy came in and he played it and he said, what do you hear? And the guy said, Yanny? He's saying Yanny. And I'm like, y'all have to be messing with me. My brain could not comprehend. I don't understand how you're hearing Yanny when it's clearly saying Laurel. And it's like Jesus is saying to these people, okay, the way of Jesus is about being little, last, loser, Laurel, Laurel. And they're hearing power, prestige, prominence. And what I think you see here is that Jesus is showing you that there is something in the human heart that is so seduced by the desire for power. Where when G- even when we hear the gospel, even when we hear Jesus inviting us into a little way of weakness and neediness, we hear him saying, oh, this is my path to the top. We intuitively don't hear Jesus say, I am your savior that is calling you to die. We hear him saying, I'm your helper that's going to give you a little boost so that you can have all of your hopes and dreams come true. I'm going to be your little good luck charm so that uh, you can be a winner and you can be on top and you can have no more pain and no more discomfort and you will not struggle again. We're so seduced by the need for power that we hear this invitation of Jesus and we filter it through that and think and come to Jesus as somebody that's going to help us get to the top when all along he said the way of Jesus is about being little, last, and a loser. The Christian life is not about upward mobility. It is this invitation to downward mobility, which is what we're going to see next. He totally redefines power. We see the seduction of power, but look at how he redefines power. Look at verse 41. We'll jump ahead. The other, uh, the other 10 disciples hear about this private conversation that they were having, and it says that they were indignant with James and John. They're furious. Now, why are they so mad at, uh, at them? Well, the text doesn't really tell us, but most commentators think it was because James and John beat them to the punch. They wanted to ask Jesus the same question. Make us a second in command. They just got cut in line, and they got to Jesus before they could. And so you have this whole picture of these disciples that are angry. They're, they're, they're jockeying for power. They're elbowing past each other. They're just so ambitious to get to the top. And Jesus sees all these guys, and he brings them all together. And look what he says in verse 42. He, he, he brings them together and says, listen, guys, verse 42. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over, him, over them. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, this is what leadership and power looks like out in the world. Uh, You have the people that are the leaders, and they are on top. Leadership and power is about being at the top. It's about being the man or the woe man. It's about being uh, above other people, and you get to boss them around. It's that you being at the top of the food chain. Look at verse 43. He says, but it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Jesus is completely redefining what power is and what it even means to be great. Greatness is not about being lifted up. Greatness is about being brought down low so that you can lift other people up. Greatness is not about 
greatness is measured by your service, not by how many servants you have working for you. Here's what Jesus is saying. You know what I think is awesome? You know what I think is really awesome? I think it's when people stop caring about being awesome and they just befriend people that they find annoying. You know what I think greatness is, Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying greatness is when you stop caring about being great and you just are willing to take like, and do the menial job that nobody else wants to do. That's what greatness is. It's when you respond to unjust criticisms with patience. It's when you help other people who are ungrateful. It's just self-sacrificial love. That's what Jesus says is truly powerful, truly great. When you send a small and just unforgettable text to follow up with somebody, just to ask them how they're feeling about something, it's so, it's so unnoticed. It's, it's so small, and yet Jesus says that is greatness. When you prioritize your family and your, or your, your spouse or your, your children over your productivity, over getting ahead in this life, Jesus says that is awesome. That is greatness. When you work hard to remember people's names, when you um, do the dishes when it's not your turn, when you intentionally speak a word of encouragement, when you take the time to just pray for somebody, when you do something kind for somebody that's experiencing homelessness, Jesus says, that is awesome. I'm, I'm doing a standing ovation over that kind of stuff. It may go unnoticed. It may go unthanked. No one's going to Instagram it. No one may even realize that you did it. And yet Jesus says, I see it, and I think it's greatness. What can you do this week for the people in your life, in your orbit, in your world that may be small, unnoticed, you may never get thanked for it, never appreciated for it, may never get noticed for doing it? What is that thing that you can do? Jesus says, that is real greatness. That is actually true power. Now, here's the final question. How do you get the power to do that? Because who in the world wants to take the low road? Who wants to, who wants to serve in, in obscurity rather than in the spotlight? Who wants to serve like that? How do you get the power for this kind of power? Finally, Jesus doesn't ask you to do anything that he hasn't already first done himself. Look at verse 45. He says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, Son of Man is Jesus' favorite self-designated nickname. It's this term that he he took right out of the Old Testament in Daniel chapter 7. The Son of Man is, you have this picture of this glorious, exalted uh, king, and Jesus is saying, I am this glorious, exalted king of kings, and yet I have condescended, and I have stooped low, and I have come to be a human on this earth. He has condescended, and he had had every right to expect everyone to honor him and worship him and exalt him, and yet he says, the Son of Man did not come to be served. The Son of Man came to serve. Isn't that mind-blowing? He totally reverses all of the power dynamics of our world. He came giving away power, not exploiting his power and abusing other people. He came to serve. Fundamentally, Jesus is not asking you to serve him. Fundamentally, he came to serve you. 
The gospel of Jesus is not the big sacrifices that we make for him. What makes the gospel sweet is it is about the great sacrifice that he made for us. I'll end with this. Um, There have been just, you know, so many mass shootings in our country over the past number of years, and it's hard to even keep track of them all anymore. But there there was one mass shooting that didn't get a whole lot of attention Uh, It took place in 2013 at an elementary school right outside of Atlanta. And one of the reasons why it didn't get a lot of attention is because no one was uh, shot, no one was injured. And the reason why nobody was injured is because of this woman named Antoinette Tuff. Antoinette Tuff was the bookkeeper, kind of the the, the secretary of of the school, worked in the front office, the front desk. And one day, a normal day in school, there's a man that walks into the building with an AK-47 and a bag, a duffel bag filled with 500 rounds of ammunition. And he comes into the office, and he's engaging Antoinette Taff. And I'm, I'm a little unclear on some of the details, but eventually there's a SWAT team that gets formed. The police are kind of surrounding the building, and, and nobody is shot inside of the building, but you know, he's, he's shooting outside of the window to the, to the police on the outside, and, and he's using this woman, Mrs. Tuff, as the go-between communication to the police. She's on the, she's on the phone with the police out there, and he's barking orders at her to you know, tell them to stand back and stand back because she's talking with him. By the way, this whole conversation is online. You can listen to the whole thing. It's 24 minutes long. It's unbelievable. She was not trained for this. She was not prepared for this moment. And yet here is this man in the office shooting out of the window and she just starts talking to him, gently engaging him, somehow convinces him to put down his weapon and to lay down on the ground and wait for the police to come and arrest him. And as he does this, he puts down his, he does it. He puts down the gun and he lays down. And as he does this, here's what she says to him. This is a direct quote. She says, it's going to be all right, sweetie. I just want you to know I love you though, okay? And I'm proud of you. That's a good thing that you're just giving up. And don't worry about it. We all go through something in life. She goes on and she says, You know, I thought the same thing, you know. I tried to commit suicide last year after my husband left me. You find out later she'd been married for 33 years and her husband had just recently left her. She says, but look at me now. I'm still working and everything's okay. Now, what's going on? You know what she's doing? She's being vulnerable with him. She's sharing her weakness with him. She, She tells him she loves him. She tells him she's proud of him. Uh, She lets him in on some of the hard things in her life. And she prevented what would have been a bloodbath, not through strength, not through overpowering him with force, but with weakness, with by being small, with being vulnerable. And that's a picture of Jesus. Jesus does not come to us in strength and power and forcing us to do things, he comes to us in weakness. He comes to us as a servant that has come to serve you. Think about it. On the cross, Jesus became little for you. He made himself utterly vulnerable, utterly dependent. On the cross, Jesus became last for you. He did not set up a giant palace with, you know, gates around it. He was stripped of everything and he was discarded as trash outside of the city. And Jesus lost for you.
the religious and political authorities of that day won. I mean, Jesus lost his reputation, he lost his comfort, he lost his blood, he lost his oxygen, he lost his life. Even as he says in verse 45, I came to give my life as a ransom for many. If Jesus has done that for people like us, that has to mean he finds you precious. That he finds you worth it to be stripped of everything and have everything taken away so that he could have you. Now, if that's true, if that gets into your bloodstream, that changes how you relate to power. Because you think, oh my goodness, if I have him, who cares about reputation? I can give it away. I can risk it. If I have him, I can stop trying to manipulate people to get things from them. I can just give things to people. If I have him, I I don't need to be recognized. I don't need to be at the top. I can sacrifice all of that, and I can serve in the shadows, because if you have him, you have everything. So what I want to invite you to this morning is I want to invite you to choose the little way of Jesus. I want you to choose the way of Jesus of becoming little, last, and a loser, because that is where you will find him, and that is actually what it means to be truly powerful. Amen. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would, by your own service to us, transform us into being servants, that we would gladly choose the path of obscurity. We would gladly choose the way of service, of elevating the needs and interest of others over and above our own. I pray that you would help us to choose the little way of Jesus because we might find actual power there in his name and in his blood. We pray all this in his name. Amen.